Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices. Hi there, welcome to Leaders Talk, the biographical interview podcast for better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. My name is Carsten. I'm one of the managing partners of Leadership Choices, and my guest today is Natalia Usachi. Life continues, and life wins even the war. Uh, it's nothing normal about it, but it's not normal also to be scared and to hide because we have to do something to win. And the spirit and, you know, the attitude that when we do something to fight the, the fight for the peace, as we call it, yeah? Uh, because we just want our peace back and we want our freedom back. I wanted to have access to this magic. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know what is this, but, you know, it was... It felt so familiar and it felt a lot of wisdom. Natalia is co-CEO of Bank Lviv in the city of Lviv in the west of Ukraine. And she's talking to us with me about how she experiences the war, how the war, the situation has influenced her leadership style, how she became the co-CEO uh, co of this bank and why she's thinking that the power of questions and of coaching is essential for leaders today, especially in a crisis situation like this today. So um, I'm looking very much forward to this discussion and so should you. Let's jump right into the conversation with Natalia. A very warm welcome to Natalia Ozachi. Welcome to Leaders Talk. Thank you, Kasten, for calling me in. Natalia, you are the deputy CEO of Bank Lviv in Ukraine. However, you say you're not a banker. Help me understand. Um, okay. Uh, by um, education, I'm not a banker. I'm a programmer. And uh, I never thought of a banking career. So when I was... Uh, Young, I thought of any kind of job, not about a bank. And right now, uh, from what I do and my patience and uh, the meaning I see in my job, I wouldn't call it banking. Yeah, I would call it um, we help economy flourish and develop. Uh, we do a lot of uh, people work. We work with clients. We work, in, work internally with people. Yeah, it's... Um, Uh, it's not so much banking, it's about helping uh, businesses uh, work and do what they want to do and while their banking issues are somehow solved automatically. Okay. So. <laughs> Understood. So, Natalia, help us understand, you are in Lviv, uh, the German name of the town is Lemberg, it's in the west of Ukraine. How is the situation for you like day to day? I mean, concerning the war, how does it look like? Um, from today's perspective, uh, so it looks, uh, yeah, I don't know how to find a word. We were preparing for our supervisor board next week and we just thought to see some statistics because 
want it or not, but we are used to statistics and we can uh, say stories for statistics. And um, so we've got statistics until 3rd of May, since 24th of February, when the war started in Lviv, we had only 16 days with no air rates. And during all these times, uh, we had like around 116 um, missiles fired up and around 30, they uh, hit the targets during all this time. So from this point of view, I would say that we feel the war uh, and the risk is from the air. We don't have a stress of uh, cities in East because uh, unless the air raids, uh, life could be said that it's more or less normal. And our regions, they are supposed to keep the economy up and to provide everything what is needed to front. So from this point of view, we are at war and we feel um, less affected by war. Uh, and we understand very well what's needed at the front. And we are very grateful that we don't have, uh, we are not in the red zone, so mm -hmm. to say. So this is kind of a situation. So in other terms, at any point in time, you are prepared for an alarm going off for an air raid and then you know where the next shelter is, where to run to. It is today in the morning when I was coming to the office. It was exactly, I just arrived and the air raid started. Yesterday at night, it was the last one. So it's kind of, um, yeah, a regular thing. Well, and it, it's interesting, uh, we were, we noticed that if we have like two days in a row with no severe, we like believe that we are back to normal and then, you know, we are not back. So uh our internal feelings are always uh, changing all the time and this is normal i would say but you know we are used to the things that it's up and down during the day and during the week so yeah it's hard for me to imagine that um and we had to reschedule our podcast a couple of times partially because of air raids and the stuff that needs to be reorganized because of that so it's it's hard for me to to really compare that and, and imagine if I was in a country or in a town where I would be prepared for an air raid any point in time. I mean, how do you cope with the stress, the uncertainty? The, I mean, it's also dangerous. I mean, people die, I suppose, right? Yes, it is dangerous. It is dangerous and people die also in our region. We had some deaths. Uh, but narrative which we have in our head but all these um, missiles they uh, are pointing out to some strategic objects uh, and normally so it was only once then air raid was not an alarm so normally we know and we have time to hide so you have at least 15 minutes before the, i mean even from the nearest um, point It takes 15 minutes for the missile to come. Uh, first two weeks, I think, were the most stressful because we did not have any experience. From today's perspective, we have more experience. I was even thinking that what I would said two, two weeks ago when we were supposed to have our pod call would be completely different from what I want to say, I mean, can say now because every day we have, we learn a lot of new things and also work. Uh, is uh, developing in favor of Ukraine. So um, 
we decided that we have to cope with a situation. We see that we have enough time to hide. And of course, we hope that all these um, targets are not civilian objects. So this is what makes, provides the structure in the head to keep going. Okay. Yeah. So in other terms, there is, so if you look at the, or if, if I look at the map, I see Lviv very much to the, to the west and yes. it's bordering uh, to Poland, right? And to mm -hmm. Romania, if I'm not mistaken. Romania, Hungary, yeah. Slovakia. And, yeah. and this is also the kind of the transit route for both cars, trucks, but also trains. And a lot yes. of the missile strikes are to, to destroy the infrastructure so that there's no, that the supply can't get through so quickly, right? Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. And Natalia, you have family, uh, you have two sons, you're married. Um, where's your family? How did you, how do you make sure they are safe? And why did you decide to stay, first of all? Uh, it's like a lot of uh, <laughs> questions in one. So uh, I, I stay because here is my life right now. And here is uh, what I... Um, can do uh, and what I want to do to support Ukraine uh, in our fight for peace. Uh, also for my family, like for my mother and my brother and my sister who are very worried as well. Um, we came to the conclusion and we agreed that uh, the work I do here is also to support Moldova, where I am originally from, because we understand that Russia, it's like a shell now. Yeah, it's a protective shield for the rest of the world. Uh, and with my like direct family or small family, my husband and my two sons, uh, we uh, tried uh, various options, like kids were with grandmothers, then kids were close to the Ukrainian border in Europe with my husband. I was traveling back and forth. And since uh, two weeks, they are here in Lviv. We are all together here. Also because we have more experience. And it's very revealing, I can say. And it's not, you know, like less or more stressful. And the key argument for them was, if it's safe for you, it is safe for us. And, you know, it's an unbeatable argument in a way. Uh, and um, it's also important that we all have, leave this experience equally uh, involved, you know. Uh, and it's our decision, of course. So right now, the most convenient and most um, correct for our family is to be together. And we are here now. How it will develop, we don't know. So uh, during the summer, we believe that kids might go to vacation and because now they uh, continue studying. And from Monday, our school announced that they want to open the in-person uh, trainings, I mean, schooling, which is, you know, they have a shelter, uh, which is also seismic shelter. And uh, somehow what I learned uh, that wanted or not, I mean, I don't know how it sounds. Yeah, but life continues and life wins even the war. Uh, it's nothing normal about it, but it's not normal also to be scared and to hide because we have to do something to win. And the spirit and, you know, the attitude that when we do something to fight the... The fight for the peace, as we call it, yeah, 
because we just want our peace back and we want our freedom back. So I don't know if I answered your question, but somehow this is what you did. You did, and a, lot, and a lot more, I think. Um, Natalia, help us understand. There is, I think, in the in the West or in Germany, there is a common misconception that the war started in February 24 this year. Uh, from a from a Ukrainian perspective, the war started in 2014 when the occupation of Crimea took place. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you've been in Ukraine now for also a long time. Your your kids grew up there. Help us understand the climate in Ukraine in the time from you know around 2014 to now. What has changed? Is Has this been something that has been building up or was this also a total surprise that the escalation now took place, the invasion took place? Can you shed some light on that? So on 23rd of February, we had our last normal board where we approved our new digital transformation strategy for the bank and strategy of five years where we... Uh, so we are fast growing and very nicely developing bank for small business and um, um, private clients in principle. And uh, it was really one of the yeah, very exciting and motivating boards. So, you know, like, and we always assess the risks uh, that we live under work conditions and that, uh, you know, this conflict is something which holds you back. So, Being originally from Moldova, we have a conflict with Russia. Russia, not Russia, Transnistria, yeah, where Russia is a peaceful force, uh, so to say, but we all understand that the conflict is not solved also because nobody wants to solve it. Um, and it's kind of, uh, you know, you take the situations where, you know, uh, you put them on hold in a way, yeah, uh, and uh, You understand that you have a conflict. Uh, it's located somewhere, either Crimea and then also uh, in uh, west of a region. So there were uh, two regions where which were uh, occupied. Uh, and uh, um, even when we came in 2017, uh, some of the people uh, in Moldova they would say, "How you can go to Ukraine? There is a war." So being close neighbor, we all understood that there is a war. It's located somewhere. So it's not, I mean, uh, Lviv is not as risky as, for example, to be closer to the border. But the fights were all the time, basically, for these territories. Uh, and, uh, of course, we had a surprise when on 24th, the next day after the board, at four in the morning, uh, all Ukraine was attacked. So even uh, not far away from Lviv, we had some attacks in uh, most of the regions where we have branches, we had attacks. And basically what changed, that uh, entire Ukraine was attacking. And this narrative that you are not safe anywhere, even in Lviv, even in Sandberg, which is 30 kilometers from Poland border, you are not safe. Uh, and this was a big transformation. And it was a a shocking surprise, I would say. So nobody expected, even everyone was talking about it. Yeah, but I think we did not believe that this can happen in our days. Yeah, it, it was a total surprise for 
for Germany and for other Western countries, I believe. But um, it's interesting to hear that it was a surprise for you guys as well in the living in the country that it's not something that kind of developed or any sort of ultimatum that kind of ran out and then something happened, but it just more or less out of the blue an escalation took place. Now, yeah. Nat Natalia, you are in charge. I mean, you're part of a management team of four. Uh, and yes. Bank Lviv is a, a small but not quite small organization. You have 440 employees. They all go through the war. Um, yes. How has that changed your leadership? What have you learned about your own leadership because of that? I love this question. I was thinking about this question all the time, like what should change? How we should we change anything? What should be emphasized? What should be, you know, like uh, focus more, focus less? And um, I think that um, COVID times have helped us a lot, you know, to to be resilient and to accept all kind of, you know, shocking news or. So this was really a good training and good preparation, I have to admit, for us and for clients, because we did not, so everything was so um, strongly received by public, so very supportive. Everyone was supportive, staff was supportive, uh, people were supportive, families, clients, everyone. So basically, like in few days, all country gathered all the forces to fight and I think entire world saw it, but no one even for a second was thinking that, okay, we are done. No. And it was amazing to watch and it was amazing to be part of yeah, this, you know, strength, uh, which everyone showed. Uh, and um, of course, first days when you just have to get control over everything, uh, we were uh, like in the army. We were just doing what needs to be done and taking decisions what are to be taken. And since everyone understood, because normally these uh, war specialists or experts, they say if uh, the conflict is not finished in 10 days, then it might go into a longer period. Yeah. So basically, like in one week, we realized that it will be a longer period. No one wanted to say for how long. Even today, I am very surprised that it took so much time and it's still, you know, we prolong now war um, situation in uh, Ukraine. So um, in a time, like two or three weeks later, we realized that it's not enough just to meet and to uh, see what people need in terms of work, like because it was some cash issues, some logistics issues, because basically the roads were um, blocked and also these uh, missiles which were flying you know it was also risky to send um, cars with um, their special uh, encashment car uh, cars but still it was a lot of you know uncertainty and learning uh, and in time we realized that um, the most important thing is to keep the spirit of the team and, you know, this stoic optimism and the feeling of we just have to go through it until we uh, have our peace back. Yeah. Until we win. Uh, it's not our fight in terms of winning. It's our fight in terms of recovering our freedom. 
so it's fight for freedom and um, this is what we do and this requires presence so you asked why you decided to stay because you cannot do it online you cannot do it you you know presence alone speaks like many many words so you can say nothing but if you are just there being present with your people this is very important and uh, also uh, i think we did not speak a lot about um, technical issues because somehow we did not have a lot of things to do uh, we just have to take care of our clients and of our employees and this is what we did so it was a lot of care and a lot of presence our guys from head office they were traveling to branches like almost every day when we felt that roads are secure so just to be in contact and in connection and i think this was the most appreciated that we were together so being there and also being a role model in terms of being there and exposing yourself to the situation to the threat yeah and focusing on the human side of it i would say right yes so i was not always here like for example uh, uh my colleague uh, tamuna she's from uh, georgia and my colleague ashot he's from armenia we were in and out uh, tamuna was most of the time here uh, and uh, because i had to travel to family and this put a lot of burden on me mm -hmm. because somehow you know I felt it's not right not to be with the family and it's not right not to be here. And because of security of the kids, I did not have enough arguments to say you have to stay or you have to go. And it was a lot of, you know, this psychological fight, which is not helpful. And I believe that it's good that I had this experience because most of my colleagues had also their own uh, guilt fight experiences. Yeah. And... Uh, What we also did, we talked about this as well. You know, we talked about fears. We talked about our feelings, which we want to hide. And, you know, this was also um, so connecting because when you live through such a crisis, you gain a lot of strength and a lot of something which you otherwise cannot gain. And um, all the crisis situations, they put in evidence the true self of people and this was also amazing to see that you know uh, that we have the best people so in a way yeah it was all i even cannot say but i felt proud i felt just the reconfirmation of a greatness of our people here and of ukrainians in principle just you know it was overwhelming yeah this is the right word Yeah. Wow. And I mean, I've worked in different banks and I would dare to say that in other banks, there's less of an openness to talk about emotions or fears. So I think there's also some thing in the way you guys lead or how you guys create this space where you can talk about the inner, you know, stuff going on, the emotions. How, is that, a, was that any, at any point, a conscious decision? Has it just developed? Um, how would you describe that? Uh, actually, um, we were building this kind of leadership for the last three, four years, I mean, since we came. Um, so basically, we adopted, we call it so-called European leadership or humanistic leadership. 
which is based on uh, COVID principles of seven habits of highly effective people. It's uh, and that one is based on uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, studies uh, and. This is what I believe, you know, I was thinking about Frankl all the time when war started, you know, because now I can understand a little bit what was in his life back then and he found the meaning. So, and from this perspective, you know, I think it would be rude to be, uh, to complain in our situation. And that also made us, you know, believe that we just cannot complain. We have to focus on what needs to be done and we have to decide how we take this. So it's us, it's our right to decide what attitude to have towards it. And I think this principle, this leadership style, yeah, that everyone is responsible, everyone is a leader. Uh, and um, this is one of the values we have in a bank. But when we say People are important. It's not, you know, like people are important. Everyone says people are important, but we listen. We listen voices which, you know, say unpleasant things. We listen voices which say pleasant things, and we manage through the situation all together. Yeah, and we explain everything what's needed. And also, since two years, uh, we've got a corporate coach uh, who is based in Germany. Yes, and. Um, Lucas was helping a lot us privately, and we also had a coaching team coaching session for our senior management team, like team of ten. Uh, and since we were used to the practice before, so it was something which we worked. We just realized how powerful it is, and also it was interesting to see his feedback. He said, "You know, normally when we would say, okay, let's have a two-hour coaching session, like." we would take like two weeks to decide on a date. We were always busy. Everything was complicated. And then we just said, this time it will be a coaching session. And he said, in half an hour, all the 10 accepted the meeting request. You know, so it was evident that we need this connection time, a designed connection time. And I saw the power of coaching and team coaching in practice, even in these kind of times. I don't know if we were able to start with this now, so that might be a little bit more difficult. But the thing that we already were in the experience, it was so good that we had it and we could, you know, it was supporting our team and us to talk about uncomfortable things and, you know, to talk about what is not being said and to point out to the energy in the room and all these things. So, um, yeah, and it's, this is true leadership and this is the most difficult thing to speak about emotions and about what's not being said you know and not to pretend that we are bankers and we you know have a black tie and we just do our job so it's yeah it's not I, about th I think this is pretty amazing i have to say and uh, uh I'm, i for many many reasons i mean on the one side this deeply human touch and on the other hand side that you that in a war situation, you look for an example of somebody who has lived through something even worse, like Viktor Frankl, who has been in Auschwitz in the concentration camps of the Nazis, who lost his entire family to the Nazis, to the Holocaust, and, and, and then taking strength from this analogy saying, hey, I mean, we still have a choice. We can still create our environment. There's, we don't, there's no reason to give up. We are, we are still there. Um, I, I think that is pretty amazing 
I have to say. Kanas, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think these stories are created and shared exactly for these reasons. This is when they're most needed, I would say. Absolutely. Mm. Wow. Uh, Natalia, one more question to the overall situation, and then I would like to understand how you developed into a banker, not being a banker from Moldova, living in Ukraine, all that stuff. And you're a coach now. Um, so uh, there's one, one, one uh, narrative that is building in Germany, and I just wanted to check that with you. Um, we are now three months, or we are all now three months into the war. You are experiencing it. We are experiencing the consequences. Um, at one point, at what point do you think, or I've heard criticisms like Ukraine should look more for a compromise because too many people are dying. And I would be surprised if there's no voice around that on the Ukraine side. Is that something that you can sympathize with? Or is this is this like totally strange for you that people even think that way? It's totally strange. No one wants to compromise anything. And we truly believe that compromising in 2014, compromising, you know, accepting that situation back then, that was a bad compromise. And me personally, uh, because I really believe and I... Uh, yeah, I also trained uh, seven habits. And, you know, these win-win situations, there is nothing about compromise. I don't believe in compromise. And there is nothing being able to be built on compromise because always one side or both sides will feel fooled. Yeah, so there should be win-win, not in terms of winning, but in terms of both sides should come fully with their full understanding and decide together and trusting that this is the best thing to do. Mm. Right now, I don't see possibility for such a dialogue and decision because we are in war, you know, which makes absolutely, you know, I cannot believe that in our days this is possible because I'm really, I'm asking myself, what are the values of this society, of aggressive society? I mean, and they claim that family is their value and life is their value and love is their value. And I think that we are understanding the things completely differently. We speak different languages, man. And in this situation, I think we treat compromises differently. So, no, yeah. I, and uh, I've never ever would, I mean, in my circle, I've never heard uh, these kind of statements. Everyone wants that war stops and everyone wanted, you know, for some sort of, um, uh, yeah, these negotiations were taking place. Yeah. But even during these negotiation times, you know, it was uh, several times announced that there will be like a day of peace or no fight. And still there were some missiles thrown towards Ukraine. So it's kind of, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, trust is completely lost. And under these situations, it's, um, I don't know. Um, it's just, you know, we have to regain our borders back to 2013. And then we can talk about how we deal with the situation in the future. But right now it's, yeah, I don't see the reason and the point uh, for the war, for how it started. So what to discuss right now. Hey, we have a little request for you. Um, 
please help us spread the word of this podcast. Please help us to make more people uh, listen to this podcast by liking it, by liking this episode, by leaving a, a positive comment that really helps us to reach a larger audience. And uh, I think this is an important cause. And maybe you think so too. So uh, please uh, let us know um, what we can improve by sending us a mail at leaderstalk at leadership-chises.com. And please uh, leave a positive rating for this episode or for our uh, entire podcast based on the platform where you are listening to this. And now back to the conversation with Natalia. Understood. Okay. Um, do you do you have friends in Russia or Russian friends? And if so, how has your relationship developed since the war escalated? I do have friends. I do have relatives uh, who live in Russia, and um, it's very difficult situation. I lived the um, collapse of Soviet Union, so I remember very well when we uh, gained independence in Moldova. And back then it was a really big um, nationalistic movement. I am a nationalist. I, I'm not a radical, but I believe that uh, each uh, citizen of a country should speak its own language and uh, should know its history. And I think that this uh, family split uh, on a big scale. I don't mean only my family, but in principle started back then in the 90s. It continued, the gap grew, and now it's amazing. I just, you know, uh, right now we don't touch that point uh, because, uh, and we don't speak actually so much. I just withdrawn myself from any kind of discussions because I understand that propaganda is so powerful. Uh, and I want to believe, uh, I always want to believe that uh, people do have, people can have right opinion. Uh, they just have to uh, be free from pressure and not everyone can be free under pressure. Not everyone can be Viktor Frankl and they don't have their own Viktor Frankl in Russia, unfortunately, and this is a big uh, problem. But we can I cannot speak now with my relatives and friends mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we are, I mean, we don't have any connection point from this and it's all said and uh, and I don't know what to speak with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there is no point right now. Yeah, that must be hard if, if the propaganda or if the information that they receive is so much biased that you are kind of debating if there is a war or I'm not sure what the propaganda is saying. Exactly. But, I mean, kind it's of. like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. well. Okay, Natalia. Well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it was the most funny, like, but how you do you know that these are Russian missiles? Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's it's you know, it's you stop the discussion and you say goodbye. Yeah, that's hard to stand, understand. Uh, Natalia, let's look a little bit at your own story. So um and not everybody is an expert in geography in Eastern Europe, so Moldova and uh, and Ukraine were both part of the Warsaw Pact. That's right. And then 89, uh, when the Warsaw Pact decomposed or de deconstructed itself, Moldova became independent. Is that 
in the 90s directly? Yes. Yes. And, and you grew up there as the daughter of two biologists. Yes. Now, this doesn't look like the starting point for a career in banking. So help us understand what were steps that led you into, you know, informatics and banking and then into Moldova, okay. uh, into Ukraine, I, I'm sorry. Um, my parents, uh, both, I mean, it was not very common, I think. Uh, for parents of my age or for people of the parents of my age to have high education back then. So it was not necessary. And normally people with high education, they would have the same or not even always the same income back to Soviet time. Um, and career was difficult to do. And my both parents, they were not in party. So they were trying to keep themselves, um, I mean, I don't want to speak about Soviet Union, but they both did not uh, like the regime and they did not agree with the regime. And this is how I was grown up uh, with a lot of freedom and trust from my parents and with a lot of support uh, to study. So this was something which they, you know, inbuilt in us. In I have a sister and a brother that we have to get an education. We have to have a higher education. Even. So college, it's not enough. You have to finish university. Uh, and for this, um, so I'm originally, uh, my mother language is Russian. We spoke in Russian at home. And when Moldova gained independence, uh, so it happened in August. And on 5th of September, I went to Romanian school. So basically like two weeks later, yeah. Uh, because my parents, they were, you know, like they were also very connected to national idea. And I finished uh, school in Romanian and university in Romanian. And I always liked um, mathematics. So logic, physics. Yeah, I was not so much about, um, I loved history. So, and I love to understand what happens. And I had access with uh, when uh, Soviet Union collapsed, it was like, you know, this freedom, it was amazing because you immediately had access to so many things. And my curiosity <laughs> was, you know, like endless about the things. And yeah, I just wanted, I knew that when I will be 16, I want to go to capital. I was growing in a small, small city, almost village, 17,000 inhabitants. So we knew everyone in this uh, small city. Uh, and I wanted something, you know, programming seemed to be the future, you know, like I always wanted to create something to, you know, to help our world to be, a, I mean, to discover something. I don't know how to call it, you know, and I thought, okay, in history, in geography, everything is discovered, but with programming, it's such a new thing. So I want to, you know, to be there. And then when I finished university, it was not very popular to be a woman programmer. So I felt this <laughs> gender um, discrimination from day one. I mean, we were like few girls and only men in our uh, group. And it was also, you know, a bad joke. Everyone said that every girl who came here came just to get married with a smart man, you know, which was also a little bit... <laughs> You know, yeah, this was the context and provided my fight for freedom. And, you know, I was just 
always uh, fighting for women's rights. And it comes from there. Uh, and then uh, I started, so my first job was in a small uh, newspaper. And I started to work with businesses who were publishing their financials. Uh, so my uh, work was related to businesses, to their financials. I was composing. So two-thirds of a newspaper was on me. And this was the incoming part of a newspaper. So And that made me very connected to businesses, to their problems, to how they deal. And uh, then uh, I understood that newspaper... So I will not do this for life, but it was interesting. And then I started to seek a job and I got an announcement in microfinance company uh, where it said that uh, come to be our loan officer to help business grow and develop. And somehow this clicked. Uh, I was not sure what they are doing there. So I never thought I will make a career really. You know, I'm not a career man, uh, person. Uh, and yeah, I joined and it was funny. They asked us, do you have uh, economics uh, education now? Uh, and then they asked, do you know what is assets? And I said, I think it's something so you can measure. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. They took me because I said I learned so quickly. I'm a quick learner. And uh, I think it was the best day in my life. It was my birthday actually my first working day. So it was the best present for that birthday. Uh, because I think that uh, what I always did, I helped businesses, you know, to receive the best service and to receive access to finance and to banking in a way. Uh, and uh, this was exciting. Yeah. And I always was lucky with the people surrounding me. So really, you know, I learned a lot from everyone and I continue learning. And this, this is really cool. Wow. And <laughs> then your life continued, your career continued, and eventually you found yourself going to Ukraine. Why was that? Um, at some point, I decided to leave my um, company, the bank where I worked for more than 10 years. Uh, and I joined uh, a startup company uh, founded by my former colleagues. Uh, it's a German company inspiring development. I joined as a consultant with focus on management services, trainings, leadership. Uh, and uh, our company, uh, from time to time, they get uh, management services. So basically, we get an offer to manage a bank or to help the bank implement its strategy through providing management services. So you come, you take the bank on top as a head of the bank. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, also interesting stories. So basically we came for due diligence and also existing and future shareholders were here. We discussed the strategy. And at some point they said, and what motivates you to come to live and to implement the strategy? So it was not even an interview, you know, but somehow you understand that they kind of, you know, uh, check whether it is suitable or not. And then I said, okay, I want to come and to implement this strategy, you know, because it's a, Lviv, it's a city from fairy tale. You know, it's 
it has a lot of history and it's very beautiful. And people are very, very similar, like to Moldavians. So where traditions are very important and worship and it's, yeah, I felt good. I felt like at home and, uh, and I have this adventure spirit. I always wanted to move from Moldova somewhere for a period of time. And this is, yeah, it was a deal for two years, two, three years initially. So we said, yes, why not? Let's move. And, uh, and I think now we are already, so now in May, actually, from Monday, I will celebrate five years in assignment leave. Five years is a long time for a short-term assignment. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, I would happily uh, be, I would be very grateful to get this offer once more. Mm. That sounds really good. And that despite the fact what is going on there. So there must be a lot of affection and love for the people there and for the, for the place where you are. I can, I can feel that. Yes. Um, and then there was another transformation in your life. I mean, other than family and all that, but there was also, um, you became a coach. Why that? I mean, in, and maybe that's a stereotype, but from, you know, my perspective, Coaching in Ukraine is nothing that is like very prevalent. It's it's still something that is. I mean, the the coaching federation there is kind of small in terms of group and everything. Well, how did you come across that? Yeah, actually, I even did not know about coaching federation in Ukraine before our conference. Uh, so it was you who told me that there is okay. one, uh, and uh, uh, our. Uh, my uh, good friend and acquaintance also who recommended me to you. So basically, uh, I think when I met Pam uh, and, you know, um, I wanted to have access to this magic. I don't, I don't know. I did not know what is this, but, you know, it was, I, it felt so familiar and it felt a lot of wisdom and a lot of something. Yeah. And uh, I'm very, very grateful. I think I never told her how grateful I am that she introduced me to the coaching world. And since I'm, I'm deeply patient about people, about their stories and about transformation and about growth. And, uh, you know, I never believed that you can grow someone or you can teach someone, you know, and then, you know, coaching creation of space, this magic, it's really magic, you know, so you do something and person him, himself or herself grows, becomes stronger. And yet your work is so important. It's invisible, but it's important. You know, uh, I got really excited and, uh, you know, it felt also right. And it felt that this is the only way. And then somehow, uh, I think the most difficult part was to find the time. But once I took the fundamentals course, I just couldn't stop anymore. And uh, it's... So that was coactive, the coactive uh, training it's coactive, program. Mm -hmm. It's coactive training program. And I, I am so happy that, you know, I found the time. And actually also I'm grateful that COVID came because thanks to COVID, it was possible online. I just can't imagine how uh, deep is uh, presence and a physical experience 
But thanks to COVID, it was possible. I did not have to spend time on travel. So basically, uh, and yeah, I'm deeply grateful for this uh, access to this knowledge, you know, to these secrets of life, which everyone should know. Yeah. And then I think that uh, I always wanted to have a profession by document, by title and by practice. So and coaching. This will be my profession. You know, and regardless of what happens, so I will always proudly call myself coach. <laughs> okay, so you've been an IT person or studied informatics that didn't click so well and identity-wise, the banking didn't click so well identity-wise, but the coach that does click now. Yes, it is. And learning this magic, how has that changed your leadership behavior? What do you reflect there? Uh. Inside, I cannot say what did it change. So it gave me a lot of acceptance. Yeah. And, you know, it gave me a lot of uh, relaxation in a way. You know, I take things much, much more easier now. And, you know, I enjoy more anything what I would do. Uh, because before I think I used to be like a bulldozer at work. And <laughs> even I did not want, but, you know, this is, I think, how I came across. And what happened, I mean, I don't know so much. I only can reflect on my feelings. But what people say, you know, but it has a very uh, positive impact on them. So they feel the difference. Also, they cannot say, you know. Uh, and somehow I think uh, it made me, it put all the things together. The best of me, you know, somehow. And in a good way, in a normal way, you know. So, um, yeah. Wow. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a very transformative experience, right? Not just learning another yes. skill. It changed something inside of you. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, yeah, I think that actually... Uh, having this experience just to become a better leader or a better mother or just, you know, to have uh, a larger, broader view. As I said, the wisdom, you know, I just, I was um, thirsty for this wisdom, you know. So when I would say how people phrase the things, how people say, how we embrace the diversity, which I always wanted, but I would never be able to phrase it or, you know, to... Uh, show it appropriately so um i think i was i got a call so yeah it's um it's amazing experience and i'm i just want to continue this is something which you know you know you you cannot stop mm -hmm. <laughs> great great i can almost feel the or i can feel the energy that you get when, you know, talking about that and, and that change, that transformation. Um, typically, this is an uplifting question. I'm not quite sure if it is in this case. How Help us understand, how do you look into the future? I mean, being in the middle of a war, uh, running a bank, running a family, uh, how, do you, how do you keep a positive outlook? Actually... I have a very positive outlook. Um, I don't know if I'm an optimist or not. I I tend to have relatively like balanced view. Uh, why I'm po having positive? So what 
what we have to do is to finish the work and we will. So it's a matter of time. And I hope with um, minimum losses or with no losses, this will be the best uh, hope. Yeah. Uh, and um, once we win, once we regain our peace, so it's a matter of peace and security, uh, I think then the future is just amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy that we will have to, you know, so rebuilding and building up, it's always positive. Yeah, it's, it's just very disappointing that we were already in the stage where we wanted to build and to grow. And um, Ukraine has very strong values and right values. Yeah, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, right values or not, but, you know, the strong, uh, the real values, you know, it's not only words. Uh, and I think it will be a very positive and uh, nice process of rebuilding. Complicated because country is big and there are different opinions and this unity of a nation will have to be kept. And uh, currently uh, there is one goal, it's to regain peace, freedom and to win the war. And later on there will be many goals individuals, regionals, and then this will be a challenge to keep it all together. Where I think also the banks and banking system should play a role. And I believe that our bank also should play a role, you know, for to continue this unity. Uh, and um, the future is as... So when we think about future, uh, we design it. Yeah, so basically also I think it's uh, from COVID and it's, it is like this. You have designed, you design it in your mind and then you have it realized. So, and I think that this picture of uh, free and prosperous Ukraine with all these processes which have started with uh, uh, becoming candidate for uh, European Union, it's only benefits. And, you know, uh, We have really cool democratic state, and here we can only uh, be better. And we were already such a great nation. And yeah, actually, I like this question. I'm uh, I'm thinking whether coaching is relevant now for Ukrainians, you know. And thank you for this experience because somehow I feel right now that not for everyone, but for some it. It might be relevant. So it's the hope. It's about future. And it's good to see into the future. And, you know, not even very far away future. With a hope and with a intention. It's amazing to, to hear that confidence in you. And it's I, I get it. I, it totally resonates uh, how you visualize, uh, uh, you know, a brighter future and uh, the spirit of rebuilding the country back better than before, um, I can, yeah, I can sympathize with that. I mean, we are, as a company, this is only a small scale, but we are engaged in the R Valley in Western Germany where the flooding was last year and 150 people died, which is no comparison, but it's like a place of cat catastrophe in Germany and building back better. I mean, that spirit is also, is there, right? You can feel it and that spirit is extremely powerful. Yeah, so I get that. 
Um, Natalia, we typically end this podcast with one question. Uh, and that question is, what haven't I asked you yet? What I should have asked you? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> so we can see it's not scripted. It's not prepared. This is live. Uh, yes, it is live. Um, you know, you reminded me that the best coach uh, is the one who asks you questions which you would never ask yourself. You know, so I love this question as a matter of question. It's very powerful. And um, yeah, I, uh, I, what you did not ask me, and maybe what I want to share is, you know, um, my learning from all of this situation, it was, all, you know, it was a question in my head all the time, you know, what can I learn from this disaster? What can I learn from this situation? Like what could have been worse? Uh, and I think um, that what I learned is the power of question. It's so powerful to ask yourself questions, to stress test, and to uh, to process all the time. So um, my biggest learning, this is the question maybe which I would uh, ask uh, myself right now is, and my biggest takeaway that never take things for granted and always ask questions. And this is my message to everyone in Russia. Yeah, because I'm so I'm so deeply regretting, you know, that they uh, are blinded. They think that they make life easier, you know, by being obedient or I don't know what's their motivation. Yeah, but or by being lazy or I don't know. You, know, it's I don't want to judge. It's you know, like I have a deep feeling of. Um, sorrow for them uh, because they are important element on our one planet. We all live together and we all have to somehow, you know, uh, coexist in the future. And I believe that kids have to know that they have right to ask questions and to get answers and to ask inconvenient questions and to have different opinions. And this, I don't know how to call it, but this value of not even critical thinking, but freedom of thinking, uh, that freedom shouldn't be underestimated or taken for granted. And it should be really taught. And this is what coaching does. And here where I see its value, and here is where I'm grateful because this helps me to be also a better mother, I assume. And... Uh, Never underestimate the power of powerful question and always ask questions. And thank you for this question. <laughs> <laughs> and this was an awesome closing statement, dear Natalia. Thank you so much. Uh, very inspirational. Uh, so, what can I say? I wish you, I wish you and your fellow citizens, your family, uh, your colleagues at the bank, first of all, that you are safe um, and that you will come to this war healthy. Um, and uh, that, we, that there will be an end of the war soon, very, very soon. And then um, I think there will be a lot of support to rebuilding Ukraine back better. Um, and I think there will be more, now that we have this connection, I think there will be more exchange going forward. And I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Thank you so much for your work, which you are doing. It's amazing. I'm really um, amazed. Uh, because it's so important to spread the 
you know, different types of leadership and different opinions. And uh, we never have to stop learning. And you are doing such a great uh, impact and a lot of work. It's not easy, you know. So uh, big, big respect. And thank you so much for your work. Oh, absolutely. The world needs it. We need thank it. Thank you. We all need it, don't we? Yes. Natalia, yes. all the best. Speak soon. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. So, what do you think? Um, an amazing human being, an amazing spirit, that level of resilience and confidence, I find, is uh, really special. Um, to find an inner strength in the midst of chaos, um, in the midst of uh, unsafety, insecurity, um, instability, um, that I think is really quite remarkable. Um, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. So uh, please send us a mail at leaderstalk at leadership-choices.com. Um, I promise we will answer all your emails, your suggestions, your feedback. Um, so looking forward to hearing from you. And now all the best to you. Stay safe and uh, see you next time at Leaders Talk. This was an episode of Leaders Talk the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world, powered by Leadership Choices.